Well, Lord in heaven, thank you for a chance to rise early. For the breath you have given us today and the life to serve you, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless our time together, that early in the morning, Lord, we would hear from you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in our hearts, you would help us to lay aside the distractions of the day, and be attentive to your spirit and your call in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, one of my favorite uh, genres to read are survival stories. I've read some... Uh, incredible stories of courage and heroism um, that have really just captured my heart over the years. And and one of my favorite books that uh, I've read is called uh, In Harm's Way. And In Harm's Way, it it tells the story of the USS Indianapolis, which in World War II carried the components of the atomic bomb out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, they had no idea what they were carrying. It's a fascinating story that only one man on that boat knew what was actually, uh, what their mission really was. And their mission was to take the components of the atomic bomb to an island in the Pacific to where it could then go from there and then be dropped on Hiroshima. And so this boat, um, it sailed alone. And um, it's a fascinating story because they dropped off uh, all the bomb, and then just a couple of days later, uh, they were sunk by a Japanese sub, uh, sub patrolling in the waters there. But what is crazy about this story, and what's so tragic about it, is, and because their, their mission was top secret, the people who uh, sent them, if you will, uh, assumed that the destination as to where they were going, that those radio men and controllers were tracking with them. And so it was that I got it, you got it, I got it, you got it. And this boat was sunk, and for days, no one knew about it. And three-quarters of the men were killed when the torpedo hit the boat. And now you've got several hundred men out in the Pacific fighting for their lives, and no one knows they're even out there. And uh, day one goes by, day two goes by, and they're just thinking, certainly somebody's going to see us. Day three goes by. You've got guys right now who are hallucinating. You have guys who are just choosing, hey, I'm going to drink the salt water. Forget it. And they die. Day four goes by. Day five goes by. Okay? You're in day five, and it tells the story of how these men are rescued by a young pilot who hadn't seen any action, and he's excited just to be in the air. And he sees an oil slick from where the boat went down, and he thinks it's a Japanese sub. And so they lower their plane, they uh, ready all of the bombs, and they fly low over the water, and sure enough, it's not a sub that they see that they track down, but what they see are dozens of men in the water, who the ones who have strength just doing this. And they recognize, hey, this has gone from <clears throat> uh, a, a one type of mission to now a rescue mission. And it's a fascinating story of who continues to have hope in the midst of an incredible, incredibly perilous time. Who continues to believe that, that perhaps they will be rescued one day how they care for one another out on that water, how they sacrifice for one another. 
Um, and then what the Navy does to respond and how quickly they respond to get the help out there. And then just uh, the aftermath and the fallout of that story. The, the story, it, it fascinates me. Like I'm, I'm sure it, fascinate, it would fascinate you because it, it is... Uh, a story where if you were just to put, I read that when I was on the, uh, a vacation about a year ago at the beach. Okay? <laughs> so I, as I'd read it on the beach, I'd look out in that water, and I would just think, what if that is all I saw? And it, what, what if that is, if I had no idea if anybody was coming after me, what would I do at night? What would I do? And that's what fascinates me about that story. What would I do? Would I panic? Would I believe? Would I hold on? Would I have hope? And the message of the prophets, gang, is a message of hope. It's a message of hope and restoration, despite the fact that they are out at sea. That it looks like gloom and doom and nothing but trouble is ahead of them. And in wrath, God always remembers mercy. And that is thematic throughout all the prophets. And so last week, as you know, we started looking at the book of Joel. And Joel, um, and we're going we're to look at you know, several minor prophets here, but the, but the book of Joel, you remember I told you, is written before the exile. We call it pre-exilic. You can put that chart up there if you would, of, of Joel. It's written before the exile, where God is warning his people. And he's telling them, gang, trouble's coming. Your boat is going to sink if you don't listen. If you don't navigate these waters like I am telling you. If you don't choose to sail this boat representing the flag that is above you right here. Me, that I'm the one true God, that I've called you and set you apart to be a nation, to have a relationship with me, to be a kingdom of priests, that you can be an example to all the other nations of the earth. Live according to my will, according to my word, and it will go well with you. But the people continually to stubbornly refuse. And so God sent warning after warning. And one of those warnings was the prophets, the prophet Joel. I'm warning you, trouble's coming. And I told you the key image here is locusts. And when you think of Joel, think of locusts. Because what happened during that time was, is there was a, uh, a, uh, a swarm of locusts that came and devastated the land. And Joel recognized this based on Deuteronomy 28 through 30, where God said, hey, if my people continue to rebel against me and they don't repent, hey, let me tell you, locusts are coming. And when you live in an agrarian society, you know that when locusts come, it devastates your crops. There's going to be drought and famine. The people aren't going to eat. When you think of locusts, you think of a little pest that bothers you when you're having a cookout. When they think of locusts, they're thinking of hundreds of them which are going to destroy their crops and their way of life. It's terrifying. And so what God does what, through Joel, what Joel does, is he speaks of the day of the Lord. Which I told you the day of the Lord is both near and and distant, near in the sense that it's an act of divine judgment on either Israel or her enemies. When we speak of the day of the Lord, when Joel speaks of the day of the Lord, it's speaking of a time where God is going to judge Israel and her enemies. Specifically in this context, the day of the Lord is referred to as 
a time when these locusts came and they destroyed the crops. Joel understands this, sees the lo- what the locusts have done, and he says, hey gang, this needs to be a warning to us. That trouble's coming. Because just as these locusts swarm the land and destroy everything that's there, there's going to be an army that's going to come, and that army is going to destroy everything. Nothing is going to be able to stop them. So, as we discussed last week, the outline for the book of Joel, you have the immediate day of the Lord, which is the locust plague, and that's chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, you have the imminent day of the Lord, which is the foreign army's invasion. So Joel sees these locusts, and he goes, hey gang, if you think this is bad, an army's coming. And this army is, we're not going to be able to stop them. They're going to bust down our walls, they're going to go through our doors, they're going to fly through our windows. It's just a warning of what's coming. And then he uses that time in chapter 3, which we're going to go to today, to go, and there's even something greater that's on the horizon. But through this, there is a thread of hope and restoration. And that's what we have to hear. Is that there's warning, but there's hope. So what Joel does is he first tells them of the locusts, and he calls them to repent. Remember this? Next slide, chapter 1, the immediate day of the Lord, the locusts, and then there's a call to repent in chapter 1, 13 through 20. And then he speaks of this army that's coming, and then there's a call to repent, chapter 2, 12 through 17. So, warning, hey guys, repent, repent, and everything will go okay. Warning, hey guys, repent. Repent, turn from your sin, quit just living in your isolated, stubborn, self-willed, prideful states. Focused only on yourself. It is going to go bad for you. Listen to the Lord. The same message could be preached today. At every pulpit on a Sunday. In America. Hey gang, listen. God is a righteous, holy, just God. And every day that passes, don't think that somehow he's compromised the standard of righteousness. It's just another day in which he has relented to give you an opportunity to repent. It's not because he doesn't care. But it's because he's giving you a chance to respond. But there will be a day where the locusts are coming. And so Joel calls them to repentance. And what we see through this book is that repentance precedes restoration. We have to repent if we want restoration and hope. So in chapter 2, verse 18 is where we pick it up. This is the whole, uh, this is the point where the whole book pivots, if you will. Chapter 2, verse 18. Because there was just that call to repentance, and then you read verse 18. It says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. This is the turning point. The assumption is is that the people listened to the warning of Joel, and they repented. And so from this verse uh, onward here in this little section is the idea of God relenting, and Joel gives a message of hope. So in 2, 19 through 32, we see both physical restoration of the land in Joel's day and spiritual renewal of the people in a future time. And then in chapter 3, what we see is the Lord will judge the nations of the earth. And how the Lord will judge the nations of the earth. 
So you've heard me say this before. When you read the prophets, we are reading them from verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and we're just making our way through like this. But you have to view them telescopically. You have to see that the way in which they write is almost the way, it can be compared to the way in which we view a mountain range. We are standing on one mountain. And when we look out across the way, it, it looks like that mountain is pretty far. And then the mountain beside that is really far. But you know, when you're driving on the highway and you're just looking at the mountains, it looks like the mountains are all squished together. Right? But when you get up on top of the mountain, you go, whoa, there's some distance between here and there. And that's the way the prophets work, is they're telling you of what's coming, what's happening. And it's, it's a view as when you're driving down the road in Colorado. And you're kind of like, oh, look, you can just kind of jump from that, that mountain to that mountain peak to that mountain peak. And in reality, we know they're not close like that. So chapter 1 talks about the immediate. Chapter 2 talks about the imminent day of the Lord. Chapter 3 talks about that future day of the Lord. And it's compressed together. So in chapter 2, verse 25... It speaks of the physical restoration of the land in Joel's day. Because it is assumed that the people repent. And what it talked about how the locusts were going to destroy everything in chapter 1, look what it says. There's a complete reversal in verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Then we see in chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, a spiritual renewal of the people in the future days. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. and Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Does this sound familiar to you? Have you ever read that before? Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter sees that the Spirit of God is now moving amongst the people, the people are being accused of having too much to drink. Like, you're crazy. Do you hear people talking like babbling fools? And Peter goes, oh, wait a minute. Peter understood Joel chapter 2, and he goes, something significant is happening here. That God's Spirit is being poured out on the people. God's doing a new work. What He promised in Joel is coming true Today, after the resurrection of Christ, Peter picks up on that. And you'll talk about that in your small groups. And then finally, chapter 3, it speaks of the ultimate day of the Lord. You see, you have to see these prophets in the context of what God is doing through the nation of Israel and the people of God. All the way back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, where God promises them a land, the promised land. Where he promises them to give them descendants from Abraham. And that through them would come one who would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And this is God's fulfillment of his promise to his people beginning way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so we see that there will be a time where these foreign nations who are warring against God's people, they will have to give an account. And the Messiah through whom Abraham come, came is going to come and judge the nations of the earth. And that Messiah is Jesus. He came as a lamb 
originally, but he will return as a lion. And see, the New Testament um, believers, the disciples of the day, they were expecting that Jesus was going to establish the kingdom right then, that he was going to be the lion. And they were pushing him to be a king. And he was like, no, 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 I, that's, it's not time yet for me to do that. There will be a time where I'll come back. And I will throw over Rome and all those who oppress you. And so in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he speaks of the ultimate day of the Lord. It says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. See, chapter 3 speaks of what chapter Revelation gives to us. I mean, the book of Revelation gives to us in detail. That there will be a day where God will come and he will establish his kingdom on earth. And we refer to it as the millennial kingdom. And so the book closes with this great picture of what that day will be like. And the peace that will reign in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's king is on the throne. So within your groups today, gang, a few things I want to throw out there for you to, re- to discuss. The first one is this. Repentance preceded restoration in Joel's day, and the same is true today. What does genuine repentance look like today? Your leaders have these, so you don't need to copy them down. But I want you to consider, what does repentance, genuine repentance, look like today? Joel called the people to repent then, and the Lord certainly calls us to repent today. There are those who go through the motions, who have the right words, and then there are those, you know, you've seen them, whose lives have been radically changed because they have repented. What does that mean, and what does that look like? Peter quoted Joel 2, 28-32 on the day of Pentecost. How was the day of Pentecost a partial fulfillment of Joel 2? And describe a time when you have seen the Spirit of God mightily at work in your life. You see, the same Spirit of God that was at work then in Joel, and the same Spirit of God that did a great work in Acts chapter 2 is alive and well today. That, that's why we had all those rocks up here every Sunday is to give testimony to the fact that God is still in the business of changing people's lives. If you don't believe that, you don't have the eyes to see. You're just not watching. You're not listening. We're not up here Sunday after Sunday just to to kind of punch our, we went to church card, but to declare to you the goodness and greatness of our God, who's still at work, able to change marriages, awaken deadened hearts, and restore lives that have been destroyed by locusts. God can do that through His Son, Jesus Christ. And he's, He was at work then, He's at work today. Where have you seen that? Joel spoke of a day when the Lord will judge all the nations of the earth. Why would this have been a comfort to God's people in Joel's day? And how are we to prepare ourselves for the Lord's final judgment? Why would that have been a comfort to God's people? How would Joel have been good news for the audience to whom he spoke? 
And then finally, Joel 3, 17 through 21, describes Israel's ultimate restoration during the millennial kingdom, which I just spoke of. According to this passage, what do God's people have to look forward to? And how could this passage be used as a comfort to the brokenhearted today? You know, you have an opportunity today to comfort those who are heavy hearted. There's people all around you every day who need words of encouragement. Could you imagine if you were to say, hey, you know what? Turn to the book of Joel with me. I want to read to you something that I learned this morning that I think will encourage you. Could you do it? If not, you've missed the message of Joel. For anybody that's struggling with the problem of evil, for anybody that's wondering where is God in the midst of all the chaos of the world, do you know the book of Joel? Could you use Joel to speak intelligently of God's plan here on earth and how it's a plan that brings us hope? And how it's a plan of restoration and healing. Could you do it? You guys are going to have, a, I hope, an encouraging but yet challenging time within your groups as you work through these three chapters. And just remember, it talks of the immediate day of the Lord, the imminent day of the Lord, and the ultimate day of the Lord. And it compresses that time span just like this. But it's a message of hope for a people who are willing to listen. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness to us. And I thank you, Father, that there is hope even when the locusts are all around us. And I thank you that you send locusts in our lives to waken our deadened hearts and to shake us from our mundane routines day in and day out. That, Father, we would be uh, held captive by your goodness. I pray, Lord, that Joel would be a comfort to our hearts. For those who are in here right now, Lord, the locusts are all around. The, the warring army is surrounding our home. The Father, that we would stand strong. And that, Father, we would, um, Father, anticipate with great joy and anticipation that day which will, Joel speaks of, which will come. And I pray, Lord, that peace which transcends all understanding would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.